Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. I reflect on this when I drive over to Pasadena in the morning. I don't know how many of you are, how many have ever been to the Pasadena campus? Wow, that is very impressive. And so uh, if you're ever over there, you might notice as you drive around the neighborhood around the Pasadena campus that there's a lot of streets that are named after Methodism. Like, I don't know if you know, but the church sits kind of at the corner of Wesley and Asbury. (laughs) That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty Wesleyan Methodist there, you know. And so if you ever wondered why that is, well, in 1919, they uh, established a college there. It's just, campus is still there, just a couple blocks north of our campus. And uh, that was Pasadena Nazarene College, 1919. And then they realized that there was not much up there and they needed a church close to the campus to be the college, to serve as the college church. So Pasadena Brazil was built in 1921 to be the college church for the college campus, which means that those people named all those streets. So that's why they're all named for. And Wesley was an interesting character. He, he was an Anglican priest. He was a fellow at Oxford University but he was also somewhat controversial. And in his journey, he, he was eventually excommunicated from the Anglican church. And in fact, the name Methodist was a derisive name that people called them because they were methodical about their commitment to the poor and their commitment to the word of God. So Methodist was sort of an insult. He was eventually excommunicated from the Anglican church. So he had a lot of conflict and he dealt with a lot of conflict. And he had this saying, and the saying was this, is your heart right with God the way my heart is right with God? Then we can, we can talk about what our conflict is. Now, you could, you could do that in a heavy-handed way, couldn't you? <laughs> I know we're having conflict. And if your heart is right with God the way my heart is right with God. But it matters what we wrap our lives around when it comes to relationship. It matters what's at the core if we're going to work things out, if we're going to make our way into meaningful relationship, Paul's writing the letter of Ephesians to a group of people to talk to them about the beauty and power of community and what that looks like and what that means. And so how we form together in relationship is kind of important. Have you ever heard of the hereafter relationship formula? Okay, well, it goes like this. If you're not hereafter the same thing I'm hereafter, you're going to be hereafter I'm gone. You understand? You know, if you're not hereafter the same thing I'm hereafter, you're going to be hereafter I'm gone. Our, if we're not on the same page, if we're not heading in the same direction, if we don't have the same goals, if we don't have the same vision, we're going to have a hard time working out our difference. But if, if, we're, if we're hereafter the same things, then our hope of reconciliation is we may not agree, but we can reconcile figure it out. 
if that matters. I don't know if you've noticed this, but life is hard. I mean, isn't it good that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble? Because it would have been, if the whole Bible had said, don't worry, love me, and everything will go perfect. And you'll just be happy, blissful all the time, and nothing will ever go wrong. I, I do hear preachers preach that. Um, some people are like, why do young people not like the church? Well, when you lie to them, <laughs> amen, <laughs> they kind of go, I don't, I don't like that so much. And so life is hard. And sometimes life's hard because it's boring. You know, you just, do you ever just stop and think, is this it? Is this what you do? You get up in the morning and you, you make food and then you clean up the food and then you go to work and then you come home from work and then you have to do some laundry and then the food thing comes up again. And then eventually you, you lose your connection to the world and... And you just start it all over again, don't you? And then tragedy comes along and you pray for boar. You, you just wish I could go back to boredom. Because it's hard. And we need strength. We need ways of confronting it. Solomon, of all the people in the world that you would have ever, if you just looked at his resume, you'd go, now that guy has a chance to be happy. Number one, he's known as the wisest man who's ever lived. He, he prays at the beginning of his reign he says, I'm just a little child. I don't know how to lead these people. What do you want? Do you want great wealth? Do you want great power? What do you want? And he said, God, I want wisdom. And, and he says, well, because you chose wisdom, you'll also have great wealth and great power. And he does. He, he, he is one of the dominant leaders in the 10th century BC. He is known worldwide. Even in his day, he had staggering wealth. He, he hung out with the rich and famous. He was connected to the cool kids. The Queen of Sheba comes to visit to, to ask him questions because his wisdom is so renowned. Israel is at the peak of its power. It is a world power in the 10th century BC. So you have the short reign of Saul and then the reign of David and then Solomon is his son. But Solomon's not sure exactly what he stands for and he's not sure exactly what he wraps his life around. He achieves great wealth and great power. It's said of Solomon that he had 700 wives. That is a big number. Most of them princesses. And they weren't so much about marriages that had to do with being in relationship with one another. They were elements of foreign policy how to just cement relationships with other countries. You, you married the daughter of the ruler of that 700. So, so think of the connections that represents, including the daughter of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 700 alliances bonded in marriage. Israel was a world power. As Solomon gets to the end of his life, and he's looking at what he has created and what his life has become, and by the way, you do know that at the end of his life, he's already starting to see the mistakes that he's made. He's already starting to see the difficulty that's coming. It's upon his death that the kingdom divides between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The person who will lead the northern kingdom away is an official inside the palace of Solomon. And his son will be left to just rule the southern kingdom. And so at the end of his, right, of his life, he writes a collection of reflections 
we know them as the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what he writes. Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all of their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea's never full. To the place the streams come from, they, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, or the ear it's full of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Well, there's a pick-me-up. <laughs> I mean, at the end of his life, he gets to this place, and he looks back, and he reflects. And you would think of all the people in the world that had a chance to be happy, it was him. I mean, he had great wealth, he had great power, he was, he was highly connected, and he was wise. And yet, he takes time to reflect. Now, I will tell you that you, as you dig through Ecclesiastes, he does get to some places that are a little more encouraging and a little more hopeful. Amen? How many of you have ever been to a wedding where they did the braided cord ceremony? There are three of you, four of you, good. So uh, this is an option that we put out there, you know, if you want to do this ceremony, it's very beautiful. It's a great liturgy from Ecclesiastes 4. Um, I don't read all of Ecclesiastes 4, uh, but uh, I'll read it to you, Ecclesiastes 4, 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toll, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For who am I tolling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This... Two is meaningless, a miserable business. We don't read that part at the wedding. (laughs) We start right here at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So in the wedding ceremony, we read that and we talk about the fact that uh, here is a couple that are weaving their lives together, but you're not just weaving your lives together, you're wrapping them around something. And what Solomon has come to is, listen, I spent my life in relationship. I I I was with people. I was popular. I I was politically connected. I used everything in my power to get stronger and wiser and better connected and more wealthy. All the things we're supposed to do. But this is what I forgot. I wrapped my relationships around the wrong things. And when I wrapped my relationships around the wrong things, it did more damage than it did good. So listen, when you decide to get yourself connected in relationship... Make sure you're wrapping that relationship around something that's permanent and something that matters and something that can sustain you so that you can both be here after the same things. You can be moving in the same direction. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So in the ceremony, in the wedding, we have them weave a cord of three strands together and keep with them to remind them. It's not just the two of you. It's the two of you in relationship with God that is your strength. And that matters. That's what Paul's praying as he writes this letter. And he comes to this powerful prayer in chapter 3. 
and then he begins to pray it over these folks in Asia Minor. By the way, uh, I was gone, and while I was gone, things happened. So, uh, and so I do want to tell you this, whether you're online or upstairs in the overflow, the single largest comment I have had since we have done the remodel is, where's the cross? It's back there because this isn't finished. Everybody okay with that? There will be a rather large screen behind me. It will be a place where we all can look together instead of everyone looking at the side. So we're kind of making some change. There will be images of crosses as we continue to finish out the front, okay? And by the way, if you notice when you drove up, there's a giant cross out front. In the remodel, we have decided to continue to be Christian, just so you know. Just so you know. So there will be crosses and other things coming and going on the imagery, uh, you know, so let us try to get everything done and then complain. <laughs> By the way, wasn't that a fun announcement last week? Don't drive on the concrete. There are three colors out there. There's concrete, there's asphalt, and there's a little rubber thing to tell you when you're transitioning from one to the other. Cars do not go on the concrete. Did you ever think we would have to make that announcement? Don't drive on the concrete. If you are, you're in danger of hurting someone. So Paul writes this beautiful prayer. Listen to what he says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Powerful prayer in which Paul understands the power of community. He, he's writing a whole letter to say, come together, be together, but wrap yourselves around the right things. Because if the people of God wrap themselves around the wrong things, then there'll be divisiveness. They'll be fighting. They'll, they'll, they'll be, we'll be worse off than if we didn't come together at all. Amen? That's why we yo-yo back and forth between getting together and getting apart. We, we, we come together and we retreat. It's just been the holidays. How many of you are still basking in the peace and quiet after the holidays? Because <laughs> y'all came together. <laughs> and then you ask everyone to go home. Because we... And in our culture today, the culture wraps itself around some things that are very hard to wrap yourself around. Amen? It's really hard to wrap yourself around wokeness. Now, wokeness is a new word, but it's been around in practice forever. It just means... Figuring out what's current culturally correct, what's culturally acceptable, and what is hard about wrapping relationships around wokeness. 
It changes all the time. I mean, you need to get up. I need a glossary. I need, to, I need to get up every morning and go, let's see, what's in and what's out. Because what I think is in and out, yesterday it was in, but now it's out. Have you caught yourself there? Say something and the whole, world, whole room gets quiet. You're like, uh what did I not know? <laughs> There's been an update. We're, what we're wrapping our relationship around has changed again. It's exhausting. It creates anxiety. It creates depression. I don't know how to stay healthy in this relationship because the basis of it is changing constantly. And Paul says, if you want depth of relationship, if you want to see the power of community, I pray for these things to happen. There's just seven points to the sermon. <laughs> Nobody's excited about that. Pastor was gone a week. He comes back. He tries to make up for the lost week in one sermon. But they're short. Anybody believe that? For this reason, Paul says, I kneel. What reason? What reason? For this reason. For this reason is that you have a mission and God has a mission and we ought to be on mission together. For this reason, for the fact that God wants to make all things new. That God is in the business of redemption. That he is very busy creating restoration and redemption in the lives of his people. Amen? Amen. I need that. My brain does not work very well. I'm, I mean, it doesn't keep up. It likes to, and this is probably more true of men than women, but it likes to find a rut and it likes to stay in the rut. I want to figure it out, and I just want to live right in there, just right there. Do you want to do something different? Nope. I just figured this out. I just got a rut that feels comfortable to me. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me. I'm okay. Amen? And we have different personalities. I mean, some of us are like, what's new? I need to change it. What's what? What can we change? I don't like this. I had it yesterday. I need to change this. This whole room's making me crazy. How many of you live in the cycle of, we're going to buy some new stuff. We need new things on the walls. And then a few months later, you'll be like, we need to declutter. This place is making me crazy. I want simplicity. I know I'm in trouble when I see the Simplicity magazine on the coffee table. Well, we're getting rid of some stuff. I better get a dumpster because it's, it's coming. We're going to purge. We're going to purge. Paul says, for this reason. For the reason that God is interested in the person I am. He's interested in weaving together something healthy in my thoughts and in my emotions and in my relationships and in my journey. He is a God of redemption. He's making all things new. He's bringing it together. He sees me. He sees my brokenness. He's concerned about it. He's concerned about the brokenness and the relationships that are at the very center of my life, my family. And he's, he's interested in the relationships that branch out from there. The people they know and the networks they're in and, and the circumstances under which they live. And he's interested in the, the health of my community. And he's interested in the health of my city and my country and my world. And he's interested in the health of my church. For this reason that God is in the business of making all things new. I pray this over you because you need to come together and wrap yourselves around the right things so that you can be a part of the... Have you read the rest of the letter? I mean, we've been preaching on it for a few weeks now. This plan of the fullness of God manifest in the world comes through his body, the church. 
You and I, responsible, called, commissioned to go fill the dark places of this planet with the grace and light and love of God. Amen? For this reason. And now he says, point two, I kneel. I kneel. The standard Jewish posture of prayer is standing. Kneeling is reserved for very passionate places. So when you hear someone in the Bible is kneeling, you know it's a big deal. Stephen kneels at the time of his martyrdom. Jesus kneels in the Garden of Gethsemane. This kneeling posture is a very important statement that Paul, for this reason I kneel. I become prostrate before God. I I, I lay myself out. I'm passionately praying this over you. I'm not just casually standing, you know, saying, God bless you. I am kneeling. I'm in a posture of great passion. So this unity, what we wrap ourselves around. The prayer Paul prays is I want you to understand the reason. We have a reason. I want you to understand the passion. We have a passion. Two down, five to go. See how fast those went? You're going to be early to brunch. I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Patra patria is the phrase. And the, and, and the meaning of this phrase in Greek is that it's not just I kneel before the Father. I kneel before the representation from which all things we understand about fatherhood derives. I kneel before the Father. What I'm praying over you is that you understand the reason and you understand the passion, but you also understand the benevolence of the Father. In Matthew, Jesus says, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts. How much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those that love him? I I want you to feel the warmth of it. I want you to feel the safety of it. He prays it over this church. I want you to connect into this place. Father, from whom everyone gets their name and the whole family, we're together. All of the things that could be good about fatherhood are represented in this prayer. I want you to experience the protection. I want you to experience the grace. I want you to experience the love. I want you to experience the fun. I want you to experience the joy. If you have a superlative understanding of what fatherhood might be, I want you to live inside of that because that's a part of what this family represents. Not all of us got all of those things in our own fathers and mothers. And so Paul says, I get that. But don't forget this. Even your sense of lack comes from an understanding of the ideal of fatherhood. And so for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom the whole family gets its identity. Because you have a father that binds you together. Number four, we have power. I pray that you may be strengthened in your inner being. How many of us feel powerful? And we talk a lot about this in our culture. You know, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to, you know, you be you. Unfortunately for most of us, that is not our experience of our inner world. And then here's the irony. Sometimes I do meet people that I believe it is the reality of their inner world. And it's not pleasant. Amen? So then Jesus comes along and says, crazy stuff. You know, whoever wants to be greatest among you must be the servant of all. Well, that doesn't sound very powerful. 
Paul says, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Therefore, I will glory in my weaknesses. And I think most of us probably have some understanding that we do feel inadequate a lot of the time when it comes to this issue of strength. Do I have the strength to get through this? I don't know. Do I have the strength to face what is in front of me? I don't know. And somewhere in there is this reality that Paul is praying over them. I want you to experience strength in your inner being. I don't think it's going to get up in your brain. In fact, he's going to talk about that next. I don't think you're going to walk around feeling strong, but I want you to know the strength is there. I'm praying that you find strength in your inner being because his strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. And you may not feel powerful, but you need to remember you are. You, remember, you need to remember that this strength of God is being manifest in you. And so when you're weak, that's when you're strong. Jesus words it like this, Paul writing about Jesus. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became obedient. He took on the form of a servant and became obedient unto the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the irony. That's the yin and the yang. So he humbled himself and that made him powerful. So he became weak and that made him strong. And, and so Paul is praying that over these people. Listen, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom we derive our name and our understanding that you would have strength, that you'd have power. You may not walk around feeling it, nor should you, because about the time you start, there's nothing worse than a powerful Christian. <laughs> because humility is a part of the character of God. And when Christ walked the earth, he walked it in humility. Not in arrogance. He walked it in humility. He drew people into his space. We have this power. We have a spirit. I pray that it would be manifest in your inner being. Don't you wish God would fix our thoughts? Everybody okay, by the way? Have I gone on too long? All right, listen, I told you I was going to tell you this, so I'll tell you this now because you need a little break. So every year about this time of the year, we go away to a conference for pastors. It's a pretty small group. Uh, this year there were 22 couples there. And uh, over the years, we've learned that to do this well and economically, it is cheaper and better on a cruise ship than it is at a hotel. Because I don't know if you know this, but if people can escape, they will. <laughs> Even though you come together. So when you put them on a ship, they can't go anywhere. They're stuck. <laughs> so 10 days ago, we started this journey, and we started it at the airport. Have you been to the airport lately? The cattle are lowing. <laughs> that is the experience. It is just cattle. It is... Stand in this line, wander around, graze. It's a lot of humanity at an airport. Amen? You have to let me vent, okay? And then as you get, because we fly southwest, you know, because we're cheap. And that means you get to experience this cattle 
thing multiple times as you try to skip across the country to the East Coast. You understand what I'm saying? It's not just one time. Then they heard you off the plane. Unless <laughs> you love Southwest. Here's a post. Find your number. <laughs> and then, if you haven't had enough togetherness yet, let's just get on a boat with 4,000 other human beings. And so then you do that for days. Days and days and days and days. And I thought I had allocated my energy enough to get home last night, you know. And we had to change of plans. Cindy decided to drop off in Dallas because her mom's going through some stuff. And so we were like, okay, you're going to do that, so let's change. And, I'll, and so we're going to get into Dallas, and we're going to catch that plane. I'm going to be home at 5 o'clock on Saturday, and that's going to be great. And then we got to Dallas, and we'd been delayed out of Fort Lauderdale, and I missed my flight. And I, I just only had enough strength to get from Dallas to Burbank. I didn't have any more. And then my app popped up and said, congratulations, you're going to Oakland. <laughs> and I got to Oakland and I got off the plane and had a layover in Oakland. And then I got on another plane to come to Burbank and I got in like at 10 o'clock last night. And then as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, and I got to get up in the morning and preach a series called Better Together. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, we are not better together. <laughs> Sometimes we are better alone. But I do think about this. Just getting up this morning and thinking about, now we're going to all be together. We're going to be together. It is so much more fun to be with people who are wrapped around the same things. Who share a purpose and a vision together. And I wish God would just fix my brain. I wish when I felt petty and tired and irritable that God would just go, Hello, everyone. You know, I mean, when you're on Southwest and you're sitting in your seat and you have an empty seat beside you, you're like, don't sit by me, don't sit by me, don't sit by me, don't sit by me. I'm not making eye contact. <laughs> and then I think, you know, because I hear people tell stories. I was on a plane and this person asked and I led them to Christ and now they're a missionary. That'll never happen to me. <laughs> but don't you wish God would fix all that stuff? All that humanity that gets mixed into us? Paul says, listen, that's not how it's going to happen. I, I, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, and I'm inviting him to give you strength, and I'm inviting him to do that in your inner being. I'm inviting it to come from somewhere within, so that from the inside out it is informing you, so that it does check your thoughts, but it doesn't fix them. And it does give you strength when you need it. But, but you've got to get in contact. You don't always remember. You don't always slow down. But I'm praying that God would strengthen you in your inner being, way down inside you, where you don't always know and understand. That's my prayer. That's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for that kind of connection and strength that goes on deep down inside of you. 
And then he says, and we have Christ. That you would experience the indwelling of Christ. N.T. Wright, in writing about this particular prayer and passage, he says this. We talk a lot in Christendom about having Christ in us, but we talk far less about being in Christ. And he said, in this issue of community, we need to know these two things. First of all, we are all in Christ. That's what brings us together. That's what brings us together in relationship. We are in Christ. That's our identity. That's what creates unity in the life of the church. But Christ is also in us. He indwells. We're not alone. We don't face one single moment alone. We may not feel it. It may not get past our brain. It may not inform all of our emotions. But Paul prays, I'm asking the Father to give you strength in your inner being so that you could could sense the indwelling of Christ and, and that that could go with you every day into every conversation, into every place. And I want you to think about it. I want you to think, I'm not alone, I'm not alone. When the tension gets high and things are hard, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Strength's being made perfect in my weakness and I'm not feeling powerful, but I know that underneath it, I'm not only in Christ, but Christ is in me. And then finally, he ends the prayer by simply saying this. We have love. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and long and high, how wide, here, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I, I want you to experience the depth of love. I want you to feel loved, and I want you in turn to let the love out. It's a pretty simple thing, this relationship thing, isn't it? I mean, we used to have pretty simple ideas. If you don't have something good to say, don't talk. Well, that's complicated. I don't know if I understand what that means. I wonder how many of us, if we just come back to the simplicity of, we ought to leave people better than we find them. Everybody, in our home, in our family. And so Paul is so, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where, where there are visions, they'll These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I want you to love each other. I want you to engage. I'm praying that you would experience how high and wide and deep. And I know that love means discipline. It's not all just about, you know, when we love our kids, we don't just give them everything they want. Amen? That's grandparents' job. Take that very seriously. But as parents, we're like, you know, I mean, I get in trouble with my children because of how I treat my grandchildren. And I know the love of God is it has these containers. It has discipline. It, has, it invites us to become something, to change something, to stop something, to, to enter into a life in which we are healthy and whole. We are wrapping ourselves around the purposes of God and the calling of God in our world and in our lives. We're not just wrapping ourselves around whatever comes along next because that is unstable for us. But love. I, I don't think you ever walk away from a loving relationship whether you had a hard talk or a nice talk going I don't know if I'm loved 
You walk away pretty sure that you're cared for and loved. And I think when I read this passage and read this prayer, I think there must have been a, an amanuenses, a, a scribe writing this down. You know, Paul talks very openly in his letters about the people who are writing down what he is dictating. And I was I just think in this scene, I'm trying to imagine as he prays this prayer, that the, that, that the scribe must go, good luck with this prayer. Amen? I mean, I want you to have, for this reason, I kneel before the Father and I, and I ask him to fill you with power in your inner being so that you would have the strength to understand the indwelling of Christ in you. I mean, the guy must have been going, yeah, whatever. So that Paul must look at him and go, and now I want you to wrap this thing up. I'm going to do a little benediction at the end of this prayer. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or even imagine. Unto him be glory now and forevermore. And he ends with this little benediction. And he says, I want you, I want you to fill them with this strength. And I want them to hear this at the end. He can do so much more than this. So much more than you could ever ask or even imagine. And as we close this service, I want you to think about that. I want you to pray that over some circumstances. I want you to pray it over some people in your life and in your journey. Some difficult places. Some places where the... Com- you know, I'm going to ask God to release this power, this love, this grace, this in my inner being. I'm going to pray it over you. I'm going to pray and plead like Paul was praying and pleading. Because I believe that God is at work in our world. He is making all things new. He is for us and not against us. And we can surrender and offer some things to him and leave them here. And some of what we can leave here is, God, do some work in me. There's some things I need to give up. I've wrapped some things. I have wrapped some things in me around things that aren't stable and aren't good. And I need to let them go. Let's pray. God, we believe that you have a vision and a hope and a calling for us, a place of strength. Life is hard. We do need strength. We need help. We can't do it all alone. Can't do it by ourselves. And so you, in a very specific way, have invited us into a space in which we let go. We stop trying to run our own life. We we stop trying to be the smartest person in the relationship. We, we come together and we wrap our relationships, all of them, our homes, our families, our marriages, all of them, our friendships, we wrap them around this cord of the goodness of God and the being of God. And so in these closing moments, as we sing the words, the goodness of God, There's probably some folks here online, upstairs, in overflow that might say, there's some things that I've wrapped myself around that are not serving me well. And I want to confess them. And I want to let go. I want to come back into a loving, right relationship with God. There's some relationships that we want to let go of and surrender to you and ask you to be at work in. We want to stop worrying over them and fretting over them. We want to let them go to your power, to your grace, to your love. Would you do your work in these moments? Would you really allow us to not let the moment pass? 
to genuinely answer the prompting of the Holy Spirit to settle some things, to pray some things. I pray that you would just hear our responses. And I pray for courage. I pray for folks that are making significant decisions and changes and surrendering some things to reach out to a friend, to a pastor, so we can walk this journey together. We need each other. We are better together. And we need strength. Hear our response to your word, we pray, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Will you stand as we respond? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.